I invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And if you need a Bible this morning, you can take the one that's in front of you and you'll find our text, Hebrews 10, on page 1007. As part of our series on the Minor Prophets, you've noticed that from time to time, we've made a connection to other parts of the Word of God from the Minor Prophets, and we've taken uh, a Sunday or two to, to look at those, especially when a prophet is quoted in another book of the Bible. And it's just been a great reminder that what we have before us is not just these one-off books of certain men having interactions with God and then giving us some, some principles of life. But what we have here is this great one story of God's redemptive work in human history. And that it's all woven together, that it all fits together, that it is just one beautiful, powerful story. And that leads us this morning to Hebrews chapter 10. Because in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 10, Habakkuk is quoted. And so we want to ask ourselves this morning, why this little minor prophet uh, in the Old Testament, a book that's even hard to find in our Bibles, why, why is that quoted by the writer of Hebrews? Why was that important for first century Christians? Why is it important for us? Follow along with me as I read, beginning Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, and reading through the first verse of chapter 11. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you had endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we sit under your word this morning, we would ask that you would speak to us. Fill us, fill this place with your Holy Spirit. We don't want to do this in the power of of ourselves, of man, but we want to do it in the power of the Spirit. We want to hear you speak. Lord, take your word and apply it to the very parts of our minds and hearts that need it most, that you might be magnified today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago, Lynn and I had uh, the privilege to spend almost a week in a United Nations refugee camp on the border of Sudan and Ethiopia. Some of you right now are thinking, (laughs) how could it possibly have been a privilege to be in a refugee camp of the United Nations uh, there in that remote part of the world? Well, hold on a second. I want you to know a little bit about the person I met there and the things that God taught me there. Uh, That refugee camp on the border, it was actually in Bonga, Ethiopia, right there on the border of Sudan. 
uh, was mostly comprised of people from the Uduk tribe in southern Sudan. That, that group of people, that people group, uh, had uh, been really blessed by the Lord because there were these two women missionaries, very courageous, who decades before had risked really everything, including their own uh, safety and security, to bring the gospel to that people group. And the Lord, in his great uh, grace, poured out his spirit so that almost everyone in, among the Uduks came to know Christ. But when civil war blo- broke out in the south, southern part of Sudan, Christians were under severe perse- persecution. They lost their homes. Uh, they were captured. They were beaten. They were imprisoned. They were put to death. There was no place safe for them in the south, southern part of Sudan. And so they fled. They fled into Ethiopia. They ended up, many of them, in this United Nations refugee camp. We had been invited by them, by this group of people uh, in the camp, through our church, to come to a Bible conference there in Bonga, Ethiopia. And we stayed there in the United Nations refugee camp. The interpreter that we were given was a guy, was a guy named Jonathan. I was struck right away by just how much joy exuded from Jonathan. And it wasn't just happiness, y'all. It wasn't just that he was a a guy that smiled a lot or a guy who was fun. There was just some kind of inner joy in him that was captivating to me. There was a peace in him that was captivating to me. And the more days that we stayed there in the refugee camp, the more the contrast between his circumstances and his joy became. Because his circumstances wouldn't lead to any kind of joy. Circumstances were that he had been in that refugee camp for eight or ten years. And he didn't know, they didn't know that if there was any hope of getting out. There was no plan or future there. But that's where they were. And they couldn't even really just leave the camp and make a home in Ethiopia. The Ethiopians weren't happy that the Uduks were there. And so anytime they left the camp, they would be in trouble. They couldn't establish any real business or real future. They couldn't think of going to school beyond the rudimentary schools that were in the refugee camp. They were on a subsistence diet that hardly ever had any meat. So there they were. With a, with a history of being there and a, and a future that looked like they would be there, living in poverty, and yet this joy. And then I remember later on in the week when they had organized a soccer game for me to play in. That's a whole nother fun story. Uh, and Jonathan was changing out of the shirt he had into a jersey. Everybody wore a jersey. They found it somewhere. And as he changed his shirt... I saw the scars across his back. I didn't ask him. I asked the missionary. I said, why, why are there scars across Jonathan's back? He said, because when he was younger in Sudan, he was captured and he was beaten. And again, I'm thinking, why this joy? Why does he feel blessed It's the same thought I have when we come to verse 34 of our text this morning. When it says, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. How do those things go together? How do you joyfully accept the plundering of your property? And just so we have a context here of what's going on. 
What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, hey, remember when you first became Christians, when this group of Hebrews first became Christians, when it says there in verse 32, when you, when you were enlightened, you came to know Christ. And then once they came to know Christ, they were not only enlightened in their minds, but now they became light. They became light in the darkness around them and the darkness hated the light. The other Jews hated that they had become Christians. And as a result of that, they faced affliction. They faced a great struggle with suffering, a great trials of suffering. They lost their jobs. They lost their livelihoods. They were mocked. They were mistreated. Some were thrown into prison. And when you got thrown into prison in that time, there wasn't any food in prison. They didn't give you a blanket and a cot to to sleep in. The only way for you to have food or a blanket or anything at that time was that somebody that you knew had to come and bring you food in the prison. So that's why it says there in those verses that that you stood by those who were being treated. You had compassion on them. They had a, they had a difficult decision to make in that moment. So if, if your Christian friend is put in prison or your Christian family member is put in prison, you're, you're in this struggle of a, of a decision. If I, if I don't go, they won't have any food. They won't have a, a blanket. But if I go, I will be identified as a Christian. And then I will face probably the same suffering that they're facing. So what do we do? What did they do? They went. They had compassion and they stood with them. And so they faced that too. And the whole book of Hebrews, the purpose of the book of Hebrews is to encourage these Hebrew believers who are once again facing great persecution. And some of our wondering, is it worth it? Is it worth it to follow Jesus? Why do we keep doing this? And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't fall away. Don't throw away your confidence. Have faith and persevere. And then the question comes to me in my own thoughts as I read and think about that. Do I have that unshakable faith? Do I have that unshakable faith? Do you? When the hard struggle with suffering comes, will I have that unshakable faith? The writer of Hebrews says, Don't throw away your confidence. Well, in what is my confidence? In what is your confidence? When that hard struggle comes, when, when the cancer comes, when you lose your job, when your marriage is falling apart, when you lose a child, where is your confidence? In what is your confidence? When persecution comes, and I think persecution is coming, in what will be our confidence. Well, that's what's before us in the verses that we have here. And I think as we think through this, there's three questions that I want to put before us to, to, to work us through these verses. And the first question is this, regarding our confidence. Is our confidence in the urgency of the moment or is our confidence in the history of God's faithfulness? Is our confidence in the, in the urgency of the moment, in, the, in, the, in our ability to respond and react? Is that our confidence? Or is our confidence in the history of God's faithfulness? The writer of Hebrews in verse 32 says, recall, remember. It reminds us of what we, we heard last week, how we ended, how George ended his sermon. The last point was to look back. Look back and see what God has done. Look back and see what God has done with, with, among his people in, in the word of God and, and in history. And the writer of Hebrews is even saying to these Hebrew Christians, 
Look back and see what God has done in your own life. Recall those days. I think I've shared this before that, and it was four years ago, four years ago this month in the, in the, in what came really fast for, for Lynn and for me, her, her cancer diagnosis. And then, and then, you know, that was a shock. And then treatment starting just a few weeks later, that was a shock. And then the, the results of the treatment, the, the struggles of it, that coming really rapidly and found myself on a Saturday morning in the middle of October with my Bible open and I was just in a panic. I just, I, I, Lord, what are we going to do? I, it was so much fear and so much, so many questions and such a feeling of, of uselessness and, and with no resources and no, I just, just felt overwhelmed and there in that moment feeling all of that with my Bible open even. The Lord in his mercy through his word just kept saying to me, Todd, what have I done for you before? Look back, recall. Todd, what, 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 what has been your experience with me? And I remember thinking just like the words of that beautiful C.C. Winans song that we're going to sing tonight. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so Good. That's the answer. Todd, recall, remember, look back. This isn't about your ability to respond in the moment. This is about the faithfulness of God. Writer of Hebrews says, recall, recall what? What does he want them to recall those verses? He says, I want you to recall. Remember when you went through persecution before. You remember what God did for you. He gave you the courage to have compassion. He gave you the courage to go with the prison, to go to the prison. He gave you the courage to stand with those who were mistreated. And he gave you joy amidst your suffering. Remember, God worked. In that moment that you didn't think could happen, God worked. Is our confidence in the urgency of the moment, our ability to respond, or is our confidence in the history of God's faithfulness? The second question for us this morning, is our confidence in our earthly possessions or in our heavenly inheritance? Is our confidence in our earthly possessions or in our heavenly inheritance? I heard a pastor say recently that the things of this life can no more protect you from an anguish, from the anguish of your soul than a piece of paper can stop a bullet. The things of this life, the stuff of this life can no more protect you from your anguish of soul than a piece of paper can stop a bullet. Oh, that is so true. And yet we still continue to believe the lie right? We still continue to go, yeah, if I just, but if I just had a little more of this, if I could just protect that, if I could just hold on to this, if I could just secure this, if I could just have more, if I could just have what I think is enough, if I could just, and then what happens? We start spending our energies desperately trying to to hold on to the need that we think we have to have in order to survive. We start protecting our stuff. And we get angry, threatened when our stuff, 
stuff is threatened. But these Hebrew believers joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. How? How'd they do that? Well, it says right there in the verse. It says why. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since, because you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding possession. They, had a, they, could, they could find joy in that moment because they had a better possession and an abiding possession, a better possession. What is that? It's being with heaven, being in heaven with Jesus Christ. We say that all the time, don't we? It rolls off, you know, can't wait to heaven, built, be in heaven. But we still kind of hold on to things of this earth because... Friends, we just don't grasp how amazing heaven will be. We just don't get how overwhelming it will be to be with Jesus in heaven. And, and we get, we get nano, nanoseconds of it, glimpses, barely a taste, barely. It, it's beyond our imagination. We can, only, we can only touch it. We couldn't possibly comprehend it. It's... it's it's, it's immense what God has in store for us. There is, a, there is some clues in Scripture. There's some places in Scripture. Certainly one of them, one of my favorites is Psalm 16, verse 11. When the psalmist says this, talking about the Lord, it says, In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forever. So fullness of joy pleasures forever. When you have fullness of joy, how much more joy do you need? None. It's full. Full is full. When you have pleasures forever, how long will they last? When will it end? It won't. It's forever. That's why the apostle Paul could say in Philippians, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And then he goes on and says, and I don't know which one to choose. I know that if I stay here, it's good for you. It's good for you, Philippian Christians, because I get to teach you. I get to be on the mission of Christ. Ah, he says, but to die is far better. Because there will be fullness of joy and pleasures forever. A better possession and an abiding possession. What does it mean an abiding possession? Well, I think Apostle Peter, just a few pages over in 1 Peter chapter 1, gets to the point of this abiding possession. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here it is. To an inheritance... That is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's an abiding possession. Imperishable, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Fullness of joy, pleasures forever. You know, we hear about and we pray for, I hope we pray for, our Chinese brothers and sisters, the church in China, they're facing great persecution. They've lost their church properties, many of them. 
They've been scattered. Their pastors have been put in prison. How could they have joy? How could the church grow? How could, how could anybody want to become a Christian in China with a deal like that? Because becoming a Christian, becoming a Christian isn't going to make your life better in China, according to earthly standards. It's because they're not seeking earthly possessions. They're seeking a heavenly inheritance. They're seeking the fullness of joy and pleasures forever with Jesus. And so their light and momentary afflictions mean nothing compared to the greatness that awaits them. So brothers and sisters, what is it? It's our confidence in our earthly possessions or in our heavenly inheritance. And thirdly and finally, is our confidence in our own efforts or in the promises of God? Is our confidence in our own ability to be courageous, to be tough, to tough it out, to pull ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps and just be good Christians and just go for it? Is it in our own efforts or is our confidence in the promises of God? And here we come to that quote from Habakkuk chapter two. And I think it's important. It's very important actually that we look back. So hold your place in Hebrews 10 and go back to Habakkuk. And if we're using the pew Bible, you can find that on page 785 Habakkuk chapter two. Remember in chapter one, Habakkuk is really frustrated at God. There's all this suffering that God's people are are having to deal with. It seems unfair. Aren't we supposed to be your people? Why all this suffering? And so he's complaining against God and then he, he's waiting for God's answer. And he says in chapter two, verse one, I will take my stand at the watch post and station myself on the tower and I will look out to see what he, God, will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. And God does answer. And he begins, verse two, the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on the tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. And here comes the part that's quoted in in, uh, Hebrews. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Now I want you to notice, because this is important. There's a slight difference in the way that the writer of Hebrews puts this down and already Sarah has, has referenced it. Notice first of all that in verse 3 in Habakkuk 2, it says, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. But what does it say in Hebrews 10? Yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. And then notice this also. Notice that verse 4, it says in Habakkuk 2, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And then look what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. But my righteous one shall live by faith. It will come versus the coming one will come. It, the provision of God, the coming one, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Lord Jesus Christ himself has come. And then the righteous will live by his faith. He's got to have faith. But there in Hebrews chapter 10, my righteous one shall live by faith. What does he mean by that? My righteous one. God is saying my righteous one, meaning you who've put your faith in Christ, who he has made righteous because he's united us to Christ. And you are clothed in his righteousness. Don't ever forget that. Remind yourself over and over and over again that when you are in Christ, you have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Christ's life, death, resurrection has been placed on your account. And what was in your account, the sin was taken out and placed on Christ on the cross. You don't have a a folder that has a bunch of sin in it and on the top is a page to say, oh yeah, let them off because of Jesus. No. You are filled, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The righteous one. United to Christ and therefore righteous before God. You see, in Habakkuk, the message was, hey, You're about to go into 70 years in exile. The Babylonians are going to wipe you out. It's going to seem great. The great struggle, the great suffering. But know that God will intervene. His timing will be right. That's what he's saying in Habakkuk. What's being said in Hebrews after the cross, after Christ. He's saying Christ has intervened. And his return is certain. So in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our struggles, the reality is that the promise has taken place, is taking place, and will take place. He will come. He has come. He is with you. And not only that, you will live by faith because of the righteousness of Christ placed on you. And so this isn't just victory in suffering. This is actually victory through suffering. Not just suffering's happening and I'm in it and I have victory. It's actually that the suffering, as it talks about in other parts of Scripture, unites us to Christ. We become part of the fellowship of his sufferings. That's why there's joy for those Hebrew Christians because they're like, we are suffering for the name of Jesus. We've been united to him. We're victorious through this. It's astounding. I know many of you have gone through great suffering in your life. But suffering is still coming in some way, one way or another for all of us. Suffering's a reality of this life. In America, we try really hard to make that not be true. But we can't. Suffering might be personal, might be a diagnosis, it might be the loss of a loved one, 
I told you persecution is coming. I really, I wholeheartedly believe that. I've shared this. We're, we're doing a special series in our Sojourner Sunday School class on what it means to live in Babylon. How do we live as Christians when we're the minority culture? And if you need a Sunday School your class, you're welcome to join us. But I think that we in America stopped being the majority culture at least two decades ago, if not, if, if not four. And I don't think it's coming back. Unless God intervenes with some great spiritual awakening like he's done in the past where hundreds of thousands of people come to know Jesus in the United States it's not coming back and persecution is coming it will become less and less useful to be a Christian in fact more and more people in this country don't just find Christianity unacceptable they find it dangerous And so you're dangerous. I'm dangerous. But don't worry. That's what I tell my Sunday school. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. Most most Christians in the history of the world and most Christians around the world right now live in that context. The weird ones, we're the weird ones. The church has flourished in those places. Don't worry. Don't fear. Don't throw away your confidence. Because endurance, provision, purpose, and suffering, even joy, are yours in Christ Jesus. They're yours. And no one can take them away from you. Nothing can take them away from you. And so... Like the writer of Hebrews says, we are not those who shrink back. No, we are those of of an unshakable faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, take these words of yours, your word, seal those things to our hearts, apply them in the places we need. Do this, Father, that we might experience And live in that beautiful place of being united with you. Our strength, our confidence, not coming from ourselves or our circumstances, but coming from your faithfulness of our future hope that is guaranteed and the promises of God that have been fulfilled, that are being fulfilled, that will be fulfilled. Oh, Father. Grant us an unshakable faith, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.